Christmas. Christmas. What's the saying? How is it? It's the most what? Liars. It's the most chaotic time of the year. Would we all agree? It is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Christmas is wonderful. However, I think we can all agree that it's the most chaotic time of the year. Um, And what blows my mind is we continue to creep in on making chaos begin so much earlier every year. I, I mean, I was in Walmart this year, two days before Halloween. And guess what? Christmas tree. My neighbors across the street, they put their little inflatables and lights in their front yard the first week of November. So you know what that does to my kids? Daddy, you're a Scrooge. People across the street are already decorating. I'm like, no, we're holding faithful, man. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. How many of you wait till Thanksgiving? Praise God. Some sanctified people are still in the house. Thank you, Lord. Huh? Oh, God, Ben, he got to go, what do you got against joy? I don't have anything against joy, but I do have something against chaos. Because the reality is, it's like the moment we put up that first Christmas light, it's like our proclamation is, okay, chaos has begun. And I'll be honest, that's why I put it off. That's why I wait, because I'm not ready to surrender to the chaos. I'm like, no, it's, it's not a sign until I put up that first light, till I put out that first tree. And then all of a sudden, once it's up, once it's stake is put in the ground, then it's like you wave your white flag because here we go. The rat race has started, right? The chaos has begun. But the problem is, it's not necessarily Christmas, but it's what we've made of, of Christmas. That, it's, that it is looked upon as a chaotic time of the year. And I'll be the first to admit it, that God has really convicted me this week that, that for the most part, so far into this Christmas season, that's exactly what Christmas has been like in my household. It's just been the beginning of chaos. You know, you go to 27 Christmas parties a week. Yeah, you do. And, and you, you don't even know where you're going. And I just asked my wife, where are we going today? Well, we're going here, then we're going here, then we're going here. Do you got the presents for here, here? And I'm like, no, I don't even know where the presents are. Yeah, I do. They're all piled up in my closet right now. She's putting her head in her purse. If y'all know, that's what she does when she gets really awkward. She sticks her head in her purse to hide. But what's interesting is in the midst of this chaos, we really don't have a choice. We've got to be more, I guess you would say, we've, we've got to be more on top of things or we're going to miss things. You know, for all, especially you women, Y'all are all planners. You know, you, you almost love Christmas because you go and get your new calendar. And like right now, I could ask my wife, where do we have to go this week? She's gonna pull out this catalog and go, here's the date. This is where we had to be here. And she's gonna give me the whole list of where we have to go. But us guys, let's, we just fly by the seat of our pants, don't we? Don't we? Y'all admit it. Thank you. We got one Amen. One amen. We're just only bold enough to admit it. We don't like organization. Just tell me where to go, what time I got to be there. But this kind of all started this week. Um, as some of you may know, my, my youngest daughter turned four this week. And, and of course, my, my wife, she filters everything through me. But she did. She said, do we have anything on the calendar on December 22nd? Oh, no, no, honey. She said, so we can do Deacon's birthday party that afternoon. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. 
So she sends out the little invitation this week. Brandon Sloan comes into my office and he goes, do you know when Deacon's birthday party is? Remember, that's my daughter. And I look at him, no. <laughs> he said, it's from three to five on December 22nd, which is the night we are doing the candlelight and communion service. <laughs> and the problem is what? <laughs> well, what's the big deal? So needless to say, right after he left my office, my wife informed me that I had made a big, big mistake, that I had double booked. So I'm gonna be there for my daughter as she opens her presents and then I'm coming to spend the evening with you. Because I love you, all right? And we're gonna do our candlelight communion that night. But in the midst of all of the chaos, we're forced to plan. We're forced to have everything, all the details worked out. We're focused, we so focused on every little minute detail that comes into this Christmas season that the, the problem is, and what I've felt conviction of this week was the idea of the one thing that we don't pay a lot of attention to the detail. We've almost become so familiar with this one thing that we almost fly right over it every time this time of year rolls around. I read a quote this week and it says, familiarity can breed if not contentment, at least casual disinterest. And I think if we were all real honest with ourselves this morning, the, the one thing that we do this with every year, almost we're so familiar with it that it's almost created a disinterest because we are so familiar with it. It's the Christmas story. It's the story of Christmas. The very reason that we start celebrating this holiday on Halloween. We, we, we almost are so familiar with all of the, the little details that go along with this Christmas story that we don't pay it a lot of attention. If I went around the room right now and asked all of you to give a summary of the Christmas story, you could all do it in a matter of about probably 25 seconds. Well, give me the summary of the Christmas story. You would begin to say, well, we all know that the angel appeared to Mary and she was a virgin. She was pregnant with the son of God. And we all know that, that Caesar called for a decree. So therefore they journeyed to Bethlehem. She, she took her husband, Joseph, that she was not yet married to. And we know that Herod got really mad. So he called for the death of all the young boys. We know that they got to the end. There was no vacancy. So they were put kind of in a stall. Then all of a sudden this big star shined up in the, eye, in the sky. So the, the wise men saw it and they followed Jesus. And then they finally got to the manger and they all circled up, held hands and sang silent night. That's the Christmas in a nutshell, right? That's, that's the Christmas story. But what is so heartbreaking is that is really a kind of our view of the Christmas story. That we're so familiar with it. We don't pay a lot of attention to all of the details and all of the things that God is wanting us to learn through this Christmas story. So today, we're gonna slow down and we're gonna look at just two verses of this story. We're gonna look at two verses, and I, say, I use that term lightly because really we're gonna spend most of our time in one. So I want you to flip to the Gospel of Luke chapter two. Flip to the Gospel of Luke chapter two and, and, and we're gonna, I'm gonna read verses 11 and 12, but I'm actually gonna stop in a very random place in the middle of verse 12 and you'll kind of understand as we continue going on throughout the morning. But in the gospel of Luke chapter two, verse 11 and 12, we know that the, the angel of the Lord has appeared to the shepherds who are, who are doing what shepherds do. They're watching the flock of sheep. They're, they're doing their everyday job. They're doing what they've been employed to do. 
And then all of a sudden the angel appears to them and in verse 11, he says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you. Underline that for you, circle it, highlight it, whatever. But there's been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find. I want you to stop right there at the word find. And you'll see why in just a moment. But what we see and where we pick up in this passage is that these shepherds have just heard the greatest news of all time. They have just heard that, the, that Christ Jesus, the Lord, that a baby is gonna be born, that the savior of the world, the lamb of God who is gonna take away the sins of the world has been born for you. How many times have we flown right over that statement for you? Somebody in the room today, you need to hear that this baby was born to take away the sins of the world for you. It is the very reason that Jesus came was for you. So where we look next is, I know we kind of cut it off in a very random spot, but it says you will find. You will find. Now look, if I were to tell you that you're gonna have to find something, you know that in order to find it, you're gonna have to look for it. You're gonna have to search for it. And so if the statement had stopped right there and the angel had appeared to these shepherds and said, look, you need to go into the city of David and you will find a baby. You will find a baby. If it were to have stopped right there, that statement alone could have been a little bit daunting. Could a little bit, a little bit overwhelming because what you have to realize is there's thousands among thousands of people journeying into this city because of the decree that Caesar has called. And so what we see, can you imagine if I were to call you today and say, hey, look, I need you to go to Atlanta and you got to find a baby. You got to find one baby. You're going to be going, where in the world do I start? Because do you realize that even in today and numerically, there's 350,000 babies born every day. And so I know that 2,000 years ago, there was not quite that many babies being born. But if this statement had stopped right there and this angel told those shepherds, you need to go into the city and you need to find a baby. There was probably still, one would be led to believe hundreds if not thousands of babies that were still being born on that day. But the angel told him, he said, look, there's going to be a sign. And when he said there's going to be a sign, when we look at that in the Greek, we know that sign represents something that is supernatural, basically meaning that there will be no mistaking of who this baby is. When you see this baby, you will know that this is the Lamb of God. You will know that this is Christ Jesus, the Lord. You will have a sign. You will have the supernatural. You will have the unmistakable knowledge of knowing that this is the Messiah. You will know that this is him. So if we were to stop right there, you know, remember, this is the savior of the world. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is gonna take away the sins of the world. This is the one that we've been waiting on. If I'm them and I'm hearing there's a sign when I'm going into the city to look for this baby, 
the sign that I'm looking for is something pretty unmistakable. I'm thinking flashing lights. I'm thinking parades. I'm thinking people cheering. I'm thinking chaos. I'm thinking all of the crowds. I'm thinking of thousands among thousands of people celebrating the Savior's been born. Would you not? Am I really far-fetched in thinking that? Because remember, this is the one. This is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty big situation. So when I'm going into the city, I'm thinking this is gonna be pretty easy to identify who this baby is. You even go to a hospital now, and it's been a while since I've had a child, but I know that even with Deacon, our youngest, when she was born, I remember walking down the hallway right after her birth and over the speakers in the hallways was some baby song playing, but it was a celebration to let the hospital know that a child had been born. This was like the announcement to that whole hospital floor that we need to celebrate because a baby has been born. You go into somebody's home that's either expecting a child or they've had a newborn child. Is there any mistaking which bedroom belongs to that baby? No. Because all men, you know, we've painted the room like 11 times because none of the paint colors were right. You go, there's the crib, there's everything perfect. Y'all ever noticed that too? That perfection ends very quickly the second that child comes home. Y'all post your pictures on social media. Look at my baby's room. You take the picture because that's the last time it will ever look like that. And then not to mention, if you women are like my wife, she loves that as seen on TV junk, just to be honest. And she goes and buys every baby gadget known to man. How many of you have the bottle warmers? See, y'all got silent. I'll stick that sucker in the microwave. That'll warm it. The little thing that warms baby wipes. Amen. Thank you. Come on, just wipe the baby. We don't need all this junk because 90% of it doesn't work anyway. But there's no mistaking when you walk in that room, this is where that baby belongs. So if I'm the shepherds, God has told me there's a supernatural sign. There's something unmistakable that I'm gonna identify when I go into Bethlehem. I'm looking for things like this. I'm looking for things like this because you know what? The way that God wants to do it so many times is just so much different than we think. Then we think this baby should appear because look at the sign that he tells them that they will find. The rest of verse 12. Here's this unmistakable sign. Here's this supernatural sign. The baby will be wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. He'll be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What? If I'm the shepherd, I'm going, wait a minute, you just told me that a child is gonna be born that's the savior of the world? And this is all you've got to give me is a sign that this baby's gonna be wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger? This is the savior, doesn't he deserve better? Shouldn't he be born in some palace somewhere? Shouldn't there be all of the lights? Shouldn't there be all of the bells and whistles? Shouldn't this be the biggest party known to mankind? Because the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is about to come and step into human flesh and to be born for me? God should be appearing in such a different fashion 
than what you've just told me that he's gonna appear in. But you know that the simplicity of his appearance is what caused so many to miss him? The simplicity of the arrival of the way Jesus came is what caused so many to miss him. How often do we do that today, church? How often do we have these preconceived ideas and plans of how God should show up in our life? How do we have all these preconceived plans of how God should answer a prayer or how God should show up? And then when God does what God does and it doesn't line up with our preconceived intentions or what we thought the way that it should look, we miss it. We miss what God is doing in our own life because God doesn't show up the way that we think he should. I know that this is kind of the concept, the idea that we talked through the whole book of Habakkuk forever. That it being a follower of Christ is, this is what we're called to do is to not necessarily try to understand God, but just to trust God in what God is doing. But how many times does Jesus show up in our own life that the simplicity of the way that he shows up causes us to miss what he's doing? I'll be the first to tell you I'm guilty of it all the time. Because man, if God would just listen to me, life would be a lot easier. Things would turn out a lot better if he would just call me first and say, Brian, is this how I should do it? Do you not agree? Our life would be a lot easier. Things would go as planned for us if God would just ask our permission first. But the simplicity of the way God works so many times is what causes people to miss him. The simplicity of the gospel message is what causes people to miss the gospel message. First Corinthians um, chapter one, flip there if you would for just a minute. First Corinthians chapter one, and just look at verse 18. And this is kind of what Paul is putting in a nutshell here in verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Meaning that the simplicity of the cross, the simplicity of this gospel message is way too simple. There's gotta be more to it. There's gotta be more layers to this onion that we've gotta peel back. But you see that very idea, that is the very reason that the Jews missed Jesus. Because Jesus didn't show up the way that they thought Jesus should show up. Did they have Jesus envisioned as this mighty warrior that would ride on in his chariot, that would, that would be born in a palace, that there would be a party, that there would be a parade. And because Jesus didn't show up the way that they had planned, then they missed the savior of the world. They missed who this warrior was because the Bible said that the Jews wanted more signs. They wanted more miraculous signs. And if they would get these signs, then they would more that trust that this is the savior, this is the Messiah, this is the one. Because in their minds, they did not realize that in order for Jesus to be the warrior, he had to, to first die. That he had to first die. And to them, the cross was a sign of weakness. To them, a cross was a sign of weakness. But not only did the Jews want more signs, not did they, they only want more proof, the Greeks wanted to understand it all. 
They wanted more wisdom. They wanted more knowledge. They wanted this whole thing to make more sense. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that my God is big enough that I don't have to understand everything he does. I am so glad that my God does things that, that I can't understand at times. Because that is when God proves his power. That is when God does what only God can do. I don't want God to do something that I can do. Because then he wouldn't be God. Then he wouldn't be any different than me. But we read as long to keep going with that. But in verses 22 and 23 of that same passage, it says, for indeed, the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks search for wisdom. But listen to what Paul says. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the simple gospel message. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. You see, the Jews wanted more signs. The Greek wanted more understanding. Because just the fact that the Savior of the world would die on my behalf and pay for something he didn't do, that doesn't make sense. That's just way too simple. There's no way that this warrior could be so weak and die for something that he didn't do. That's not a, what a warrior does. That's not what in their minds the savior should do. There's no way that this one sacrifice can take away the sins of the world. There's no way that this precious baby boy would be born just to die. None of that makes sense. That's just way too simple that Jesus would pay the price that I owe. But the problem is church is we so oftentimes we look past the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel offends so many people because it's so simple. Because it's so simple, people are offended. But you see the simplicity of the gospel is that we are all sinners, every last one of us are sinners and that very sin that we have in our life, according to a just God must be punished. It must be paid with a price and that price is death. But the simplicity of the gospel is where Jesus steps in and he says, you know what? I'll pay that death. I'll do it for you. I'll pay the price that you owe. I will make you debt free. And we know that he followed through with that and he was crucified on a cross. He did die. He was placed in a tomb. But we know on the third day that the breath of an almighty God was breathed into the life of our savior. And we know that that is when our warrior showed up. He defeated death, hell and the grave by the spirit of God that brought him back to life. And you realize that when we place our faith in that story, when we place our faith in that savior, that the very same life that gave him, or the very same breath that gave him life is the very same breath that gives you life. 
It is the very same breath that when this physical fleshly body dies, that we will be resurrected to live in eternity with an almighty God who created us. It is the very same spirit of God that is now living in you as a believer. But the simplicity of that message didn't make sense to a lot of people because they've been taught their whole life that they've got to follow rules, that they've got to do this right. They've got to stop doing this. They've got to get better at doing this. They've got to make sure that they cross all the T's and dot all the I's in order to make God love me. But you see the simplicity of the gospel teaches us in order for us to be approved by God, all we have to do is place our faith in his son. The simple, the simple gospel message. But you see the simplicity of Jesus is what caused so many to miss him. So we know that the angel told these shepherds that they would receive a sign. And for you and I, when we read this Christmas story, the signs that we see right here are just something that we skim over every year at Christmas. We skim over these two signs that would let the shepherd know that this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those two signs that we're gonna look at very quickly are what the Bible says, what the angel spoke. He said, the sign will be a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now we're not trying to be like a Greek or a Gentile, but we, we're gonna try to understand this. We're gonna look for a better understanding of the simplicity behind what God is wanting these shepherds to know. And what you have to remember is who the angel is speaking to. Remember, he's speaking to them in their everyday life. He's gonna speak to them in a way that relates to them. He's gonna speak to them so that they can better understand who they're going to look for. And here's the, the, the awesome part about this story. When you and I are here wrapped in cloth, some of us men are probably having like flashbacks because how many of you felt like a dad when you really swaddled your baby for the first time? Did any of you remember that? Y'all remember your wife would sit over like a hawk and you would have to tuck the arms in and you'd have to make sure it's folded right. You'd have to tuck this thing under and once that baby can't move, mission accomplished. So when I hear a baby wrapped in cloth, that's what I think about. And I know as a man, my goal was is look, we got to see how fast we can do it, right? And it was almost like roping a calf that you've seen in the rodeo. My wife would lay the baby up, one of our half dozen kids that we got. She'd say, okay, swaddle them. And boy, I'd, you got the stopwatch? Then you'd... And you'd think, man, that's, I've done it. And then all of a sudden that one little baby moves and that arm slides right out. <laughs> but in my mind, when I hear a baby wrapped in cloth... That's what I think about. Just a precious little baby that is wrapped in a little blanket that you just pulled out of some blanket warmer. Really? <laughs> but you see, when the angel spoke to the shepherds and he told them, you're gonna find a baby wrapped in cloth. You gotta understand that that changed their life. It changed their world because the very shepherd that the angel was speaking to would have been Levitical shepherds. And what I mean by that is 
their job at the flock that they were watching, that they were watching the sheep. They were watching the sheep. They were protecting the sheep that was gonna be offered up every year as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the people. And so what would happen is they would be watching their flock and of course, I guess sheep's doing what sheep's do. Some of them would, would become pregnant. And then when they know the sheep was about to give birth, they would go into a cave that they called the shepherd's cave. And what the shepherd would do was he would nurture and he would take care of that sheep until they gave birth to the precious baby. But then you see what the shepherd's job was due. Because you remember, in order for a sheep or a lamb to be offered as a sacrifice, they had to be without spot. They had to be without blemish. So what the shepherd's role was is when that baby was born is they would catch that baby lamb in a cloth. They would wrap that lamb up in a cloth in order to protect it so that it would continue to be without spot, so that it would continue to be without blemish. So you gotta understand, this is the life that these men live. This is their responsibility. They've gotta protect that sheep. They gotta protect that lamb. They've gotta wrap them up in cloth. But now all of a sudden, an angel appears to them and says that a child will be born and you will wrap him in cloth. You see, what this spoke to them was exactly what we read about in the prophecies, that this was the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. You see how simple God made that for these shepherds to understand? God met these shepherds right where they were. God met them right in the midst of their occupation of doing what they are supposed to be doing. But what they understood now from this point on is that now I don't have a job anymore because I don't have to protect this four-legged animal. I don't have to wrap this lamb up in cloth. I don't have to keep them without spot. I don't have to keep them without blemish because today a child is born for me, for me that will take away the sins of the world. So now look back. This is an unmistakable sign. This is a supernatural sign that what this spoke to these shepherds is it's no longer about a sheep that we know as an animal, but it is now about God wrapping himself in flesh. And through the spirit of his father, through the spirit living within him, he was able to stay without spot. He was able to stay without blemish. And therefore, when he was offered as a sacrifice, this is what would take away the sins of all mankind for you, for me. And so while we see that God is speaking to these shepherds so very clearly, so that they will understand the magnitude of this baby that is being born. We also see the, the other sign was that of, that this baby would be placed in a manger. You know, this is where we also have to be very careful because, um, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not telling you to go home and tear down all of your manger scenes that you've got in your house, but the picture that we've painted of, of, of the manger is not really the way that a manger would appear in this day and age. 
He said, we, we can ride all around Gainesville Oakwood. You can go by places and you can see this, the visual picture of a manger. It's, it always looks so cozy. It always looks this little bitty wooden box with some, looks like hay that they've just got off out of a bale and they've just fluffed it up. And it looks just like Jesus is all swaddled up in that spotless, beautiful blanket that just came out of the warmer. Mary and Joseph are so cute. Did I just really say they were so cute? Sorry. And then you've got these animals that are just standing around looking at this baby. But in reality, when they came into Bethlehem and they were told there was no room in the inn, that they were given a manger, they were given a stall. What you have to understand is the context of which, what this really meant. You see, a manger or a stall was usually found in basically what you and I would identify as the, the basement of someone's home. And it was so amazing. We were having a conversation after the first service and one of our members just got back from Israel just a few weeks back. And, and she said that as we were sharing this, she was able to walk into a shepherd's home and was able to see this picture that was painted and how bad we've missed it. Because you see that when they were in the basement of a home, what this was used for is when they would build their houses, it would resemble that of what I referenced a moment ago as the shepherd's cave. A lot of times these houses would be built over a shepherd's cave. And you see when they would be given the manger, when they were given the stall that they could go and give birth to the, the, the son of God. You see, they were placed in the basement of this home and what this basement was used for is that when the weather was really bad or, or it was gonna be a cold night or, or whatever the elements was gonna be, the, the homeowners would go and get all of their livestock and they would bring them in and they would corral them into the basement of this home. And so while we see a cozy picture, while we see something that looks so inviting, much probably like your living room at times, it just looks like, man, I would love to have been in that little manger. Everybody just looks so comfortable. What you gotta realize is that where Jesus was born looked nothing like that. You see, even the fact of the manger, what the manger was, it was not a wooden box with some fleshly stuffed hay in it that was clean, that was pretty. I don't know if you realize this, but they didn't have bells of hay back then. You couldn't run up to your local hardware store and get a bell of hay to fluff the bed with it. You see what a manger was, it was basically a glorified rock that was pitted out in the middle where they would put water or feed to feed these animals. So I don't know if you've ever felt a rock in the middle of the wintertime, but a rock can get very cold. So it didn't look exactly the picture that we paint, but, but even to take it a step further, you know, you've seen animals, you've been into a barn, you've been into stalls, you've smelled them, you've seen them. It is a muddy mess. They're bringing everything from the fields into there with them. It's cold, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's damp, it's miserable. This was the environment that the savior of the world was born into. 
So we got to ask the question, God, why would you do this? This is, this is the lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Why wouldn't you have, have him born in a palace? Why would he have not been born behind some gate? Why would he have not been celebrated the way that he should have been celebrated? Because he deserved so much better. He deserved to be so much more recognized in a different light than the way he was brought to us. But you see, Jesus, from the time of his birth, was already bearing the only cross that a baby could bear. He was bearing the cross of poverty. Jesus had nothing. His mom had nothing. His daddy had nothing. And so we have to ask the question, why in the world? Why did Jesus decide? Why did God decide to send his only son in this fashion? I found an article this week that, that was written by Charles Spurgeon and it was very interesting to read because what he did was he broke down every individual that we talk about that was at the manger, that was at the, the birth site of Jesus. And what he does is he helps us to understand the, the, what he feels that God was trying to paint to show all of us. You see, he even started with baby Jesus. He said, the reason that, the, that he feels the warrior came as a baby was to back up the scripture, it says, don't hinder any child from coming to Jesus because Jesus himself came as a baby. So then he stepped and he looked at Mary, a young teenage girl, basically helping us understand that, that Jesus wants to receive a young teenage girl. Joseph was a young teenage boy. Jesus also wants to receive a young teenage boy. But then also you had the wise men who were wealthy, who were very knowledgeable, wanting us to understand that Jesus too wants to receive the, the people who have the most wisdom, who have the most wealth. He wants to receive them as well. He received the shepherds who are your blue collar guys who worked every day of their life. But what God is wanting us to understand is that Jesus is for everybody. There's no person that Jesus is not for. And so the picture that God has painted with this manger scene, when you go and look at it today, I want you to look at every person that's involved in it. They come from every walk of life. Some of you need to be reminded today that maybe you feel unworthy, that there's no way that you could ever come to Jesus. There's no way that you could ever come to Christ. But the truth is, is remember what we said? That today in the city of David, a baby is born for you for you, no matter what sin you're wrestling with, no matter what lifestyle you're living, but Jesus has died to take away that very sin. The reason that Jesus was born in an open manger or an open stall, if you would, is because this is setting the tone for who our savior is. He's always approachable, he's always accessible, and he's always available. There's nothing that can hinder you from coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God will draw you to himself, but the question is, will you surrender to that calling? And the reason that Jesus was born in a manger, the reason that he was born in a feed trough, 
It's because he wanted to meet people where they are. He wanted to meet people where they are. And the truth is, is some 2,000 years later, Jesus is still not changed. Jesus is still not changed. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you think, Brian, there's no way that, that God could love me. There's no way that Jesus died for me too. Brian, you have no idea what sin I'm participating in. You have no idea the life that I'm living. You're right. I don't, I don't wanna know. I don't care. Because the lamb of God was born to take away the sin of the world. This is when our savior looks like a warrior. This is when our savior does what only our savior can do. And if I can just be real honest with you church today, Christmas is very easy just to check it off the list. The whole month of December, let's see how fast we can get this thing over with. And on December 26th, we feel like we can take a deep breath. I was sitting yesterday in one of our 27 Christmas parties that I think we went to yesterday. We were with a part of my wife's family and I was sitting there and it was like we all rushed in and presents were passed out. And of course the kids opened them in a matter of about four and a half seconds. And just like that, it was over. But then all of a sudden, one of the family members jumped out and does what all women do. And they pulled out her calendar for 2020. All right, when do we wanna do this again next year? So guess what? They've already got next year's Christmas planned. Some of you are going, well, I do too. That's fine. But church, don't let that be the idea of Christmas. And myself personally, I sat yesterday and I watched that event happen and I watched it play out and I watched them put it on the calendar for next year. And I said, you know what? I was sitting there going, I can't believe that we're already doing that. But then it's like the spirit of God said, that's exactly the way you're looking at Christmas. Let's just get it over with. Let's just hurry up and get 2020 here and let's move forward. And so church, what I've had to do today is I've had to get on my face and ask God to forgive me for viewing Christmas this way. I've had to say, God, I'm sorry for the chaos that, that I've created. I'm sorry where my eyes have been. I'm sorry where my focus has been because the truth is, is I haven't stopped long enough to look at a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger that that was the very baby that was born for me, that that was the very baby that was gonna be hung on a cross to pay the sin for my, or pay the debt for my sin. But yet we've kind of summed it up into a Christmas present. 
So church, maybe you're where I'm at. Maybe this morning we need to get on our face and ask God to forgive us for what we've made this season, for what we've made Christmas, what it's turned into. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never placed the faith in the simplicity of the gospel, in the simplicity of this gospel message that starts at Christmas. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, oh, that's me. I go through this routine every year of Christmas when I really don't even have anything to celebrate because you realize if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christmas means nothing to you. If you don't have a savior, you don't have a holiday. Maybe you have a day off work or a few days off work. But you see, the reason he was born in a manger is so all that could be put aside. So all that could be put aside. Because today Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. It doesn't matter what you carried in here. It doesn't matter what you're walking through right now, but Jesus was born in a manger so that he would always be acceptable, so he'd always be approachable. But church, we maybe have forgotten that. So this morning, we gotta respond in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's with a repentant heart saying, God, I'm sorry what I've made this, or, or maybe it's you surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today. You wanna truly experience Christmas. You wanna truly experience that this is the child of God who would die to take away the sins of the world. Then you surrender your heart and your life to him. You've never felt freedom like you will feel freedom. Now it's not gonna be easy. I'm not promising you that if I raise my hand today, if I, if I pray a prayer, if I ask Jesus to save me, that everything's gonna get fixed. That's not the case. Matter of fact, it may get a little more difficult. But the truth is, is what will get fixed is your eternity. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So church, how would God have you respond today? What's the spirit leading you to do this morning? Maybe it's you pray with your family. And maybe as a family, you say, okay, we're committing today. We're gonna slow down. We're gonna slow down. And remember what this season's about, what Christmas is about. So God, this morning is, um, we should all, number one, be humbled that God, you could have came in any way. But God, you came in a way that would prove that you came for all. So God, this morning, I pray that we would be sensitive to that. Lord, I pray that in this response time that we would do just that, that we would respond. And Lord, as I looked around the room in the first service, I saw so many just heads bowed where they were at. And God, I trust that it was a, it was a people who were contemplating what Christmas is all about. So God, this morning, I pray that we would just respond in whatever way you lead us. Lord, if you prompt us to pray with our family, if you prompt us to pray alone, if you prompt us just to, to lift our hands in worship, 
or if you prompt us to surrender our heart and our life to you today. God, I pray that we would be obedient in that. And God, we praise you and we worship you this morning for all that you've done in Jesus' name.